So as we begin tonight looking at Psalm 119, let me begin actually um, reading a passage in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 22. It's not that I don't like starting. It's not like I can't start in silence. I just feel like I'm about to read the Bible, and I just feel like it needs to be like heard. So I'll just wait, you know. Like, I'm not trying to be like a nitpicker, like be quiet, hear me speak. But like, when it does come to God, I am a little bit like, we should be, we should be quiet. So let me begin by starting. Anyways, that wasn't negative by any means, by the way. That was just why I do that. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. God, we ask now that as we approach your word, that you make us better for it. Father, um, ask for your grace. Lord, because we know that your word says that you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. Help me to know, Lord, that Anything good or uplifting or beneficial um, comes because, Lord, you speak through your word. Help us to take it seriously now, we ask in your name. Amen. We are looking at a few different psalms, and we're um, asking some, some questions that the psalms raise for us. How to have a blessed life. What to do when you feel ignored by God. How do we respond when we are going through a season of spiritual apathy? The Psalms help us remember our human frailty, that we are just coming and going in this world. And last week we talked about how the Psalms reorient our hearts towards praising God. We like praising things, but the problem is, as we mentioned last week, we'd be willing to stand up and cheer and clap when someone makes a half-court shot. But when it comes to worshiping the God of the universe, our creator, it's like we're in the middle of a standing ovation of thousands of people and we're the only person sitting down. And so we talked about how God is so worthy of our praise. And tonight we are approaching one of the most unique psalms in all of the book of Psalms. It is the longest chapter in all of the Old Testament. It is by far the longest psalm. It is 176 verses, in which only two verses out of those 176 verses do not implicitly and explicitly mention God's law. If you read through it, every single verse has some mention to the Torah, to God's law. Statutes, your rules, your commands, your word, your law. The whole psalm is based on having a high view of what God says. 
If, you, if you're even looking at your Bible, you, you might notice at the very top of Psalm 119, there's a title there. It says, maybe your Bible says, Your word is a line between my feet. But right beneath that, there's a little word. Can anyone tell me what it says? Olive. Yes. And if you go eight verses down, you see another one. Yeah, it says Beth, but these are actually Hebrew letters. And this is an acrostic psalm in which every eight verses is a new kind of stanza in which they're going through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And what's fascinating is that you can't see it in English, but maybe I'll give you a quick picture into um, the life of seminary. Seminary was hard. Um, It's kind of of cut off a little bit, but if you look right here on the right-hand side of the screen, by the way, uh, Hebrew goes from... Uh, right to left. So um, I can barely even read those vowels. So something about like Hasher, Tahami, Darak, Halakam, whatever, not important. Um, something about um, the one whose way, whatever, not important. But if you look, there's something, there's something similar with every single line, how it starts. It might look like kind of like a weird X to you. You guys see that maybe? So that is actually the first Hebrew letter in the alphabet. Aleph. And what you will find in Psalm 119 in Hebrew is that every single line in the Aleph section will begin with a word with Aleph. And you would also find that with, if you looked at the bait, every single line would start with a word that had bait. And so on with Gimel and Dalit and Hay and Vav, Zion. And so it's so fascinating of the poetry and the weaving through of everything is coming back and mentioning the greatness of God's law. And it has this very alphabetical type poetry. When you read this psalm, you either get bored or convicted, I I believe. Because there's no passive stance when we read this passage. Just over and over again, you read the psalmist's heart about God's law. Now, here's my question for you. Maybe um, um, a verse I'll read for you from the psalm briefly. Um, Let me see which one. Um, okay, here we go. Psalm 119. It's so big, i got to find it. So, Psalm 119, verse 97. Okay, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to give a little paraphrase. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Okay, that's what the Word of God says. Now, let's do something different. Oh, how I love the speed limit. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love the rules that my parents put over me. I just want to think about them all day long. Oh, I just love every regulation that the government puts on me, every law that Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton wants to enforce. I love those laws. I don't know about you, but that line of thinking is, is pretty foreign to me. 
No one, if, if you drive, no one, we might obey the speed limit. We might appreciate it. I appreciate when people drive safely, but I don't meet many people who look at the law and say, oh my gosh, that's such a great law. I love it. I just want to think about it. And here we go in Psalm 119, this dude talking about laws, commands. So something we have to realize is that when every time we read the word testimonies or ways or precepts or statutes or rules, the psalmist is referring to the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I don't know who I was talking to recently, but they said something about um, how every time I get to Numbers now, I just skip over it. Who here has read the book of Numbers? Or who here has read the book of Leviticus? Like, not easy stuff to get through. I mean, Leviticus is fascinating because there's this phrase over and over again, be holy for the Lord your God is holy. But over and over again, there's all these commands being said, something about like, don't sleep with your sister. Don't sleep with your goat. It's like, they re- God really had to spell out every single one of these. And so you look at this guy, and it's almost like modern translation, us to look at our laws over our land and say, oh, how I love the laws of our land. A few differences. So let that, let that prime your thoughts a little bit as we make our way through Psalm 119. And I find it to be ironic, but tonight's message will be a little shorter. Uh, that's ironic because I say it's going to be a short message of one of the longest chapters in Scripture. Because um, I realized, studying this passage this week, how in the world do I preach a psalm that is so lofty, that is so big, that is so multifaceted? How do I possibly encapsulate anything? Like, I mean... Um, I'm reading how other people have preached it, and they've spent 26 weeks preaching through Psalm 119. That's half a year. So we have two weeks dedicated to going through this psalm. But before we really uh, dive in tonight, it'll be more of a brief overview. And next week, when you come back, please come back. Um, Kidding. We'll take, one of the, we'll take one of the letters of the alphabet and we'll go a little more systematically through it like we typically do. But before we begin looking at a little bit of Psalm 19, let me ask you a question. And this is not a question for a, a verbal answer. This is a question for you to reflect about. So, will they call that rhetorical questions? Something like that? Okay. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Next question. Why don't you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? What keeps us from loving God well? I'd like to suggest a few answers of what may keep us, barriers maybe, that would keep us from loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Bad things in this world. Tragedies, tsunamis, oppression, torture, slavery. Bad things in this world can lead to doubts about the existence of God's power or his love. 
I'm convinced that a lot of Christians, they will tell me time and time again that they believe that God loves them. But the question of, not, of whether or not they believe God is actually kind to them is a different question. So I would say that maybe one of the reasons why we don't love God as well as we should is because sometimes bad things happen and that kind of gets translated to blaming God or being different about him. Next thing. Barriers that would stop us from loving God well. Barriers that would stop you from actually living a life that is fully enjoying God. The good things in this world. God's good gifts that we love more than the one who gives them. Things like golf and good food and sunny days and road trips with friends, social media, attempting to love a special significant other, boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife. We're tempted to love sex more than God, money more than God. So often it seems that we respond to God by taking his created things and loving them more than him or looking at the bad things of this world and not loving him. Thirdly, what are some barriers that would stop us from loving God well? The busyness of this world. A lack of love for God may not result from some tragedy or your lack of Love for God may not be a result because you're loving other things too much. But it may just be because we never even think of him. I'm convinced that I have never seen a young generation such as yourselves be so busy. Even myself. Immediately when I wake up, my mind is racing. Go to school, we go to work, maybe we play a sport, we have a job, we hang out with friends, we work out, we do our homework, we take AP classes, we go to part-time community college, we TP our youth pastor's house. And somehow we fill up our day, the few hours we have, and here we are, it's time to go to bed again. Every, like literally, I want you to ask something. Literally every single night, I said, man, I did it again. I stayed up late and I have to wake up early. I got to tell myself, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. I'm going to go to bed early or I'm going to sleep in a little bit. Never. So three barriers that I, man, maybe there's more. I don't know. I tried thinking about that a little bit. But three barriers of why we don't love God well. And somehow this will tie into Psalm 119 in a second. So here's a question, okay? Okay, here are the barriers, here are the hurdles, here are the, the holes that are stopping us from loving God well. Jesus, who summarized the whole law and the prophets, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If that's the command, and if, and if, if the question is, why don't we do that well, is how do we get over this? God's word is the key. This book that some of you are holding maybe looking at the scene that we read this is the catalyst to unlocking a love for God 
that surpasses any tragedy or trial that may come your way, that surpasses any great thing, or any thought of ignorance that we may have on our part. This book that sometimes when I preach puts you to sleep, or this book that you may look at at times and say it's too confusing to understand, this book that many of you, I believe, probably neglected to read this week is what I would say is a solution to a, a deep, vibrant love for God. You see, Psalm 19, like I mentioned, is all about God's Word. Every single verse is about the greatness and the grandeur of God's Word. And we may not look at the speed limit and say, how great is this? But let me say that these words transcend all time and culture, every generation, every single people group, and every nation. This word right here, translated into our language for our benefit and for our sake, is the solution to having a relationship with God. And I would have done the same thing, Blake, but I laughed because what do we do with it? We throw it. I'm guilty. I mean, I mean, in one sense, like, you know, there's like 30 Bibles lying around. Like, okay, like, it's not so much the paper itself, but I don't know if the outward, if that says anything. So I'd like to look at three passages tonight to show us how the Word of God can open up our lives into a way that would allow us to actually benefit from it to where we can love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus said... That every single thing in the Old Testament, if you want a summary statement, if you want a boil down statement, here it is. Love God with everything that you have. And on top of that, love your neighbor. First passage. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart. I seek you. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound anything like Matthew 22? I think it does. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, this passage right here, is a passage that I think is probably the most talked about. Maybe in our generation. Why? I think every book I've written, read on purity, every conference I've been to with, with men has at some point mentioned this verse right here on the screen. Purity doesn't involve just a sin involving sexual temptation, but I think majority of the times it does. You see, I think the psalmist was a realist. He understood that our cravings, our desires, our sins, the things that, we, that are actually good, sex is a great thing. It's a good thing. But when we, make, when we take a good thing and we make an ultimate thing, it becomes sin. And he's showing us right here in this passage how to use the Word of God to bring us back to a point where we can love God well. And what does that mean? That means that we are using God's Word to fight our sin. We are using God's Word to create hearts that are pure. 
are pretty sure it's a beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. I don't know how many of you like come to my house or have been in my house, but if you haven't, just like just come knock or something like that. I don't care. Um, or some of you have been on the outside of my house, and you should be on the inside of the house. My house got TP the other night. I don't care. Whatever, it's fun. I just like to. But anyways, um, so the three guys back there, they were in my house recently, and I don't know if they saw this, but if you look at my fridge. There's a like eight by five card sitting on the fridge. You guys happen to see it? You did. Do you, do you know what it says on it? Okay. It has the verse Romans six eleven to it. Okay. So, um, a habit I've gotten into is I will take a verse and I'll put it on a flashcard and I'll put it in my pocket. And I walk around with that verse. And a lot of times I'm not doing anything. Maybe I'm doing a quick errand or I'm sitting at a traffic light or I'm just walking. Like, um, this is like my office is right there. So a lot of times during the week when I'm thinking, I, I, I feel confined in that little tiny office. So I'll just sit here and I'll, I'll just pace around in circles and just walk around. I'll, I'll feel that card in my pocket. And my wife, plus her heart, was doing my laundry. And she was cleaning out my pockets, and typically it was like golf tees and you know, headphones, whatever, like a million things in my pocket. And she finds this card. And it was folded up, you know, like crumbled up, creases all over it. The words are faded. Like very worn out card. Like, and, and she hung it up. And I remember, like, I didn't notice it at first. I was like, hey, why? Why do you have this card up here? She goes, that is a special thing. Because I can tell when I looked at that card that you read it over and over and over again. That you pulled it out of your pocket. That you put it back in your pocket. That you carried it around with you for weeks. That you are systematically using God's word. And I think, I think the, the verse in Romans 6 that I was trying to memorize or just keep in my head, like... Um, you are dead to sin, and you are a slave to righteousness. Learning to kill my sin, using God's word just like this. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young person like you learn to fight your sin? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. The psalmist is saying that these words, the Torah... The things that we look at and say, what, what, what is this stuff going about? These things are going to keep me from sinning. And high schoolers, oh how, oh how I appeal to you to bring yourself to a place every single day that you would learn to keep God's word. That you take him at his words. You know, sometimes in my Christian life, there's been a commandment. There's, there's been something that God has been telling me to do. And the best I can do is saying, God, I don't feel like it. And I don't want to do this. But I'm going to do it. At times, you might be like that. You might know that I shouldn't yell at my parents. I, sh- I should obey them. As, as rough as they're being, as hard as they're being on me, you know, I'm going to do it. But let me tell you. That's okay, that's good, and I'm glad we're there. And sometimes we just obey, even when it's hard. But every single command of God should be yes and amen. 
That we don't simply obey just because we're told, but because we learn to see why God has put these things in order for us to obey. God's Word is not some 2,000-year-old book that is boring, that is meant to enslave the ideologies of Western cultures. The, the Word of God is for your sake. And right here in this passage, Psalm 119, 9-11, God's Word is useful to teach us to say no to our sin. And if I may take a stab in the dark, I think purity is something that we all may need help in. Use God's word. Let it be powerful in your life. Would you be like the psalmist who, who wouldn't say like, oh, I guess I should read my Bible. But just try, to, just try to read the inflection here. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Second passage. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. This passage of Psalm 119 shows us that God's word is what leads us and directs us in life. Seventh grade summer camp. My church, we played this, I don't even know what the game was called, it was weird. But I remember there was um, a path that led up to the pool. And it was a pretty, you know, dirt road, you know, kind of like uh, crevices and rocky. And uh, we were walking with a flashlight, and the flashlight dies. And we're like up in the hill of Santa Barbara, California is awesome. And the flashlight dies. You know, it's one of those things where you kind of like, you hit it a few times and it keeps working for a minute. And you know, and it's just like done. And literally like, I cannot see my hand this far in front of my face. Like literally like, we are walking like, three of us in the dark. And we like somehow got on a path that they couldn't find us. So we literally, we had to sit down and just yell for help. Help. For, like, for a good like 30 minutes and they thought we were just like being lazy kids not playing the game and they, the game ended and they realized we didn't come back and then they came and found us but it was like I mean I, I've never been somewhere where it was so dark I, I could not see a thing I was just stumbling around uh, I would say at the time it was kind of nice because this girl there with us and I kind of liked her but besides the point um I tell you what, I, I am, I'm, a, I'm a youth pastor, so I, I hang out with middle schoolers, and I look at these 6th graders and 7th graders and see how small they are, and I just think, like, I was in 7th grade, all girl crazy. What in the world? Like, this kid is nowhere near ready to be talking. Like, I just, wow. It just, man, it just takes me back. Like, all those times my youth pastor, my youth leader said, like, 
Dude, what are you doing? I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I, that's what I should have said. <laughs> Alright, what's the point of doing it if I'm not going to use it, right? There we go. Right? Come on, Callie. She's with me. You see, our love for the Word of God is best shown by the way we live it. By the way we pay heed to it. By the way we live out God's Word. By the way we walk in it. So let me, let me talk to you about a little bit how Jesus had to deal with the religious people. In His time, there were plenty of religious people, plenty of good church-going Christians who knew tons about the Bible. A very high view of Scripture. And I still, to this day, I can find plenty of people who will say, like, hey, the Bible is inspired. Absolutely. The Bible is infallible. It is God's perfect Word. It is untainted. And they would nod at me in agreement with passion. But do you know how we honor God's Word the most? How we live it out. And all those friends you'll have in seminary, all those friends with the Bible college with, who will write the papers on, on how the, God's word is without error, and yet you look at their life and they make a disgrace of this book. Jesus would say to them something that is eternally known, that we need to not only be hearers, but doers of the word. Think for a second. Do not only say to yourself, I hear the word. I believe the word of God. I honor the word of God even. I want to hear the word of God. I want to hear Aaron's preaching. Don't say these things and then not live it out. Don't be the person who actually does read their Bible and so poorly seeks to obey it. In fact, maybe if I can give you um, a moment of just pastoral insight. Most of you here in this room come most of the time. And most of you here, most of the time, seem to listen well. Some of you write things down. Some of you might even ask me questions afterwards, and that's always appreciated. But do yourself a favor and learn to hear the things that are coming from God's Word and say, I need to do this. That everything in God's Word is yes and amen. See, you know what's so fascinating about... Christian ministry or preaching for that matter there's always a promise that we're not holding to there's always a command that we are missing there's always some more explanation there's always something that we are going to forget or need to be instructed on or encouragement for and we need to be people of this book you need to be dogmatically unapologetically in love with the word of God Do you know why? Because it directs your life. Because what I needed on that dark path was a light to guide me. And here, the psalmist says, like, your laws, God, the book of Leviticus, give light to my eyes. 
All right, last last passage we'll talk about tonight. All right, here we go. Psalm 119, verse 100. Um, uh, do me a favor, and one second. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Does someone have a different translation for the word aged? Elders, Elders is a better translation. Um, as a rare, a rare thing where the ESP will let us down, but it does there. I understand more than my elders, for I keep your precepts. Okay, all right. I picked this one specifically, thinking about you guys. Um, this passage does not mean that since I've been to seminary and I know Greek and Hebrew and I've studied biblical and systematic theology and I've read the Bible a myriad of times and a lot of the elders in my church haven't, that doesn't mean I get to say, hey, I know more than you, bro. I, I mean, in one sense, like... Um, Maybe I do know more of Hebrew parallelism. Maybe I do more know more about biblical theology and the new perspective of Paul. And maybe I do know a lot about eschatology and blah, 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 blah. But I don't think that's necessarily, that's not what it's teaching. What it's saying is that, that the psalmist believes that he is well beyond his years, even the years and the wisdom and the stature of the people who are above him. Why? Because he takes this book seriously. You want to know something? I, I feel like, I don't want to, I don't like to make um, huge, wide statements, but I think most of us, we want to feel like we're good at something. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel like we have that one special itch about us. I'm not the best student, but I'm really good at music, sports. I might not be that good at sports, but man, I got a lot of friends. I don't have the best grades, but my parents are rich. Or I got this kind of car. Or I got this many followers. We all want to feel like we have that one thing that we're kind of good at, right? We all kind of want to have that, that one thing that... When people start adding up cars to see what they got, oh, I got this one. And I think we struggle a little bit of trying to uh, compare ourselves with others. It's always fascinating for me to hear middle schoolers say, well, that person's just acting really immature. You're right, they are. And I think sometimes we do that, right? When we see someone doing something that they shouldn't be doing or they're kind of bothering us, we kind of like, I want to do that. I'm really good at golf. That was Blake's voice right there. (laughs) See, what's fascinating about the Word of God is that it could teach us to learn to have wisdom that is far beyond our days. It can teach us something that cannot be taught by sheer 
experience. Let me repeat that. The Word of God teaches us something that cannot be picked up by sheer experience. The Word of God is useful. The Word of God was written for you. And I, I am the, the, the most guilty, of, I think, of anyone because part of my job is to come to this book with a reverence and a humility. And, and my, sometimes the, the poor view of Scripture that I have, that I, I, I sometimes neglect to think about it for days. And I wonder for you guys, what would, what would this group look like? What would your life look like if you dedicated yourself to... I'm going to know this word. Jesus summarized. Oh, you know, oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your commandments. Your word brings light. So here's what I'd like you to do. This week, read Psalm 19. But every single time you come across the word testimonies or precepts or statutes or commandments, insert what Jesus means by these commandments. Loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. Here's the last thing I'll say. The Word of God is useful for us because it was written for us. Remember Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus himself came to God's Word looking for it to be useful? When Jesus was sitting in the wilderness being tempted, what did he do? He quoted scripture over and over and over again. Every single time Jesus was giving a parable, do you know what he did? He quoted scripture. Do you know what Jesus would do when he would raise someone from the dead? He quoted scripture. Do you know what Jesus did when he was hanging on the cross for your sins and for my sins? He quoted scripture. Jesus is the best example of someone who took God's word for what it was. Useful. Helpful. Jesus used Scripture, when he was tempted to sin. Jesus used Scripture when he felt betrayed by the Father. Jesus used Scripture when he felt alone or when he was excited, when he was teaching someone. He used Scripture, God's Word. And you have this book right in front of you. My wife and I, we support our friends who are in Afghanistan. We're working with a tribe that does not have the Word of God in their language. Let me be clear. Millions, if not billions of people do not have the privilege to have these words for them. Psalm 19 is a huge triumph and a huge just encouragement for you to, to look at and all of God's word and to say I love this I want God's more I want God's word more so I, I ask this week my question 
is what will be the barrier that will stop you from loving God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength? And how will God's word be used in your life to help you overcome that barrier? Let's pray. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would make your word powerful. God, help us to know that left by ourselves, Lord, our, our efforts, God, our morals, our words, God, they would be flat. They would mean nothing. But Jesus, we thank you that you are the example of someone who took God's word for what it was. God, we praise you that you have revealed yourself through this written word, Lord, that you want to speak to us. God, you want us to know who you are. And God, we can do that. So I pray, Lord, we take advantage of this word, of Psalm 119, of reminding ourselves that you have called us to come to know you better. You have called us to love you with all of our heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the best part about that is that you have not left us in a place without a tool. Why don't you guys take a minute and ask God to to infuse into your heart a love for His Word. Maybe, maybe you're someone, every time you read the Bible, it doesn't make sense. It's hard. It's boring. Just tell God that. Ask Him to heal you. Maybe you struggle with discipline in being in God's Word. Pray that the Lord gives you that discipline and have the faith that He will answer.